Yo, in a minute with Evan Lovett, you know where I am. The I Am Studios in the heart of Los Angeles. And this is another episode brought to you by the good folks at Cerritos Auto Square. Extra, extra, read all about it. Not so fast, readers of the LA Times, which was gutted this week. They laid off 20% of their staff, over 100 people. And this was the single largest newsroom purge in the history the 143-year history of the LA Times, a civic institution in Los Angeles. Now, some people say good riddance. They certainly did on Twitter. Others will shed tears. One of them may have been me. But one thing is certain. Los Angeles grew significantly, along with and because of the LA Times. It was once a fiercely conservative newspaper run by Harrison Gray Otis and Harry Chandler, as they used it as a tool to build the city and to to drive public opinion. But gradually, the pendulum swung in the other direction. As the city evolved, the people changed, and the landscape of news media shifted dramatically. And the LA Times didn't change along with it. I was a reporter there in 1999-2000. I saw firsthand how difficult they found it to embrace quote-unquote new media. And I'm going to get into this. Because they've been playing catch-up ever since. So after a quarter century of half-heartedly trying to put a band-aid on their website and e-newspaper, there have been new directions, misdirections, redirections in the newsroom. And the LA Times is at a self-inflicted crossroads. Now, I've been here with the paper. I'm an LA Times cheerleader on record for years, for life. But the truth is, I haven't liked the direction of the Times for a while. I have texts, tweets, receipts to prove it. I will be going down with this ship. But the paper did it to itself. And I don't like it. And I'm going to discuss my take on the LA Times situation. And of course, we're going to finish this episode with your one thing to do in LA this week. This is something that's going to give you immediate nostalgia, even though every item that they have is new. And I'll bet you didn't even know they still exist in Los Angeles. All right, y'all. Let's get into it. So we start with something that happened in L.A. this week. The L.A. Times is the talk of the town, but for all the wrong reasons. Billionaire bioscientist Patrick Soon-Shong purchased the paper in 2018 for nearly $500 million cash. And all of a sudden, L.A. journalism was exciting again, especially for us newshounds. This journalistic institution, the L.A. Times, had been struggling mightily for years. For relevance, for revenue, for eyeballs, for clicks. And a lot of times, these, these struggles were public. About... Ten years previously, they merged into a corporation called TRUNK in all caps. How impersonal is that? They've been fighting layoffs throughout the century. They tried to keep up with more nimble online periodicals, websites, social media. But the influx of cash was supposed to change all this. As was Soon Shang's commitment to local journalism, exciting journalism, and coverage more representative of Los Angeles. The newsroom, when he took over, was, to put it simply, resoundingly white and mostly male. 
And in L.A., you know how I do. That, that doesn't cut it. All right? Representation matters. And the one bright spot of the paper, the food section, was hit hard when Jonathan Gold passed away prematurely. He shepherded in a new generation of readers to the paper. And the food section gained enough of a foothold not just to dictate L.A.'s resurgence as one of the world's great culinary cities, but to inspire in-person revenue-generating events like Bite Night and L.A. Times Food Bowl. But even the food section went sour very quickly. And one of the main moves, one of the main symbols of, of the demise, even in what was supposed to be an exciting time, was when Soon Shang moved the campus, the LA Times headquarters, from the heart of downtown LA. The Times building, this gleaming monument to Los Angeles, for goodness sake. He moved the headquarters to the outskirts of El Segundo. A lovely town, an important city, but very far from the heartbeat of Los Angeles. And look, I've been down to that new campus. It's beautiful. It's gleaming. It's state-of-the-art. It's gorgeous, but it imposed this out-of-the-way commute on most of its journalists. And yes, we're in an era where you could tell a commute, but journalism, and I worked in newsrooms, the 90s and early 2000s, they have a heartbeat. They need that. They rely on that energy. So when you make it difficult for the core of your organization to go and to be there, what do you think's going to happen to that product? And of course, COVID did not help. And we're going to get into all this. So the LA Times has had challenges throughout this entire 21st century. Almost a quarter ton with this century, by the way, which is amazing. And I'm going to lay these out. And I'm probably going to offend some of my friends at the paper. Some good friends that I've had for years. But I don't bite my tongue, especially for something that's important to me, like journalism and the LA Times. And I'm on record, pounding the table for the last 20 plus years via email, text, Twitter, Instagram, expressing my thoughts on this paper that's been a part of my life since birth. Literally. I'm going to tell you a story. My dad's friend, Jim Canetti, still my friend. But my dad passed away, so now, now he's my friend. He has a story that he tells. He remembers me at five years old, 1984, reading box scores in the paper and running up to him and telling him that Jack Morris, then of the Tigers, pitched a no-hitter. And he was so amazed with this story that he always tells. He regales me with this story over and over. Now, I don't remember that incident, but I absolutely remember pouring over the sports section and the comics with my cereal every morning since. Well, at least until the LA Times removed box scores and even Dodger game recaps from the paper. From the daily paper in Los Angeles, you don't have Dodger recaps. But again, I'm going to get into that. It's just one more factor in the LA Times demise. And the greater point is, look, the writing's been on the wall for those of us that pay attention. And even if you don't, I'm sure you've seen less of LA Times in your feeds, in your life. It's, it's just less relevant. And people want news. People want information. So there's no excuse for that. And for me, I believe that a lot of these mistakes are self-inflicted wounds that could have been avoided. And look, the Times made some good moves. 
But in my mind, they never even backed those fully. Take a look. Take a look at Delos. It's a section they launched in June of 2023 with a, quote, focus on Latino culture and identity across Los Angeles and the country. Fantastic idea, especially in a city that was part of Mexico. It's primarily Latino and is woefully lacking in coverage of the most important culture of the city. And I was excited. Go back and check my tweets. Check my Instagram. I was hyped. Angel Rodriguez, Fidel Martinez, Martina Ibanez Baldor, some great staff, great staffers. LA Times hired him and said, go to work. This is your section. And initially the section was brilliant, colorful, cultural. Talking about things, places, people that previously had no coverage in the LA Times. But soon that began to feel muted maybe even marginalized, insulated, or was it isolated? Again, with no beating heart of a newsroom, there can be no cohesive paper. So it started to feel like the proverbial stepbrother, neglected, pushed into a corner, not even part of the LA Times. And look, I'm not in that newsroom. I'm a decision maker. I don't know what went into that. But It didn't feel like the LA Times was pushing it like the LA Times could have. And maybe it was, oh, we're not getting the clicks. We're not getting the eyeballs. But you didn't even give it a runway. We're talking, what, seven months? Really? That's just when you're getting your sea legs.Ook at me on my podcast. Go listen to the early episodes. It's different. You got to figure it out. You got to get your rhythm. But the Times didn't give them that runway. But it's not just the powers that be. That might have pushed it into that corner. I have an observation that bothered me for the last few months about the journalists on the staff. And I'm sorry. You know I've communicated with those of you that, that are my friends and that we talk to. But a lot of the journalists on the staff at Delos turn their comments off. Especially on Twitter. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? I realize in this business, in this world especially as a woman, a person of color, hatred is real. And comments cut like a knife. I get nasty comments, nasty messages, DMs, and I'm notoriously thin-skinned, and they hurt. I'll get 42 positive messages and one negative, and guess which one I'm dwelling on. But check this out. As a public figure, especially you as journalists, dialogue is the main weapon. Dialogue is what you do. You report and then you dialogue Or you at least give somebody the opportunity to comment. If they look like a nasty idiot, good. Especially publicly. People are going to know who's the moron. But a lot of the writers on the staff of Delos simply cut off that point of communication. And certain people had a stated, publicly tweeted disdain for email. And I quote, don't bother emailing, I won't respond. How do you think prospective readers feel about that? So, yes, the Times didn't give that section a full runway. And it's not pointing fingers, but you are of the people. You need to be with the people and you need to deal with the people. And that's a real concern of mine. And regardless, Delos is a great idea and a concept that was never allowed to fully blossom. And now it's been gutted. 
The LA Times Latino Caucus is losing 38% of its members in this round of layoffs, many of them from the Delo section. And that's just sad. It was a great idea. And again, self-inflicted wounds. And look, I'm not naive enough to know that news is hard. Media is very difficult. This is 2024. The news business has been destroyed. All right. I was going into journalism. That's what I was doing at UCLA. I was sports editor for the Daily Bruin, worked for the LA Times, worked for NBC. I wanted a job in journalism. And thank goodness, somewhere along the line, somebody said, go into PR. It's like journalism with better hours and better pay. And well, I did that and didn't love it either. Luckily, I lucked into career in online advertising and then subsequently LA and the media and here we are. But I always wanted to be a journalist and I know that that business is terrible and it's a struggle, especially now that people turn to social media, not just for entertainment, but for information. Again, if you remember how LA in a minute started was my wife's younger cousins. They were 16 and 19 at the time. They were telling me that they get their news from TikTok. Washington Post, New York Times, a lady who read news from under her desk. And it all sounded so silly because TikTok was dances and trends. But guess what? It's more than that. And you have to adapt. And the Times, they didn't adapt. They didn't even commit. I mean, again, the LA Times popular 404 social media feed respect to my dude tom main guy over there he's nice but even that was inconsistent they were they had a staff and they were putting out one video every few days sometimes they go five or seven days between video for a social media video and look we don't all need to be nutty and go out and put out a video every day but it seemed to me that on that feed besides just the lack of overall volume of content there wasn't a singular voice direction cover random stories haphazardly sometimes tongue-in-cheek appealing to millennials oh it's humorous there's a puppet but other times they were moderately serious here's a news story they set out to entertain first and inform second and i don't think that's what people want from their journalism at least not me It's not what I wanted from the la times but again indicative of the paper's philosophy which is What exactly? The LA Times is reporting on Los Angeles. The LA Times is covering news in this city. And yes, social media gives you more flexibility to do fun things and do silly things. But don't forget that vision and don't forget the philosophy. But this is how the LA Times has been since I was working there 25 years ago. The internet was never a priority. It was an afterthought. The site was clunky. Their e-newspaper today is still clunky. I don't know how many of you have used it. But when I travel, they give subscribers the option to read the e-newspaper, which looks awesome. It looks like the LA Times. It looks like a real newspaper. But then you go to click on it. You click in the wrong place or you try to zoom in. And the entire thing resets and it takes a long time to populate and it's weird to shift through sections and sift through pages and sift through articles. Come on. This is 2024, not 2004. Where is the investment on what people are actually using? 
and even the Times Standard website, their their freaking website doesn't feel like a modern site. It's old. It's put together with band-aids and duct tape. There's random pop-ups. There's ads covering copy. It's just awkward. Even the font is old. You need to make the investment sometime to build a modern, sleek site that's attractive and functional, but they didn't. They keep putting tape and band-aids on it, and come on, you never... LA Times in 25 years, you never embraced the internet? Come on! You know what? This is also illustrating their video efforts. And... Some of their video is good. Go to their YouTube channel. A good example. One I was, I was excited about was, was Jen Harris. She's a talented food writer. She understands LA cuisine and culture. She was a Jonathan Gold protege with a great persona. And they gave her a video series. And I was excited. I'm like, yes, great opportunity for her, but great opportunity for the LA Times. And again, this is food. But when the LA Times was shining for that little bit under Jonathan Gold, it was because of food. So lead with it. Lean into it. They gave her a video series. And guess what? Last about four months. And again, I don't know. I don't see the clicks. I don't see the revenue. But you have to give somebody the runway to do their project. If you're going to do it, do it. And again, Jan Harris is still putting out good stuff on her feed. But... The videos have fallen by the wayside. And I think that, you know, they were using, they were supposed to be using the food section as a major push for this video team. And she was going to be part of it. And look, I've been down to the LA Times building numerous times. The El Segundo campus. I, I used to film uh, a monthly segment for LA in a Minute on Spectrum which has a relationship with the LA Times and they film those segments out of the LA Times building. So when you walk in, you pass by this LA Times kitchen. And again, don't forget, this is a state-of-the-art facility. This is like university caliber, UCLA, USC caliber campus. It's amazing. And it's empty and it's hollowed out and nobody's there. But going back to the kitchen, this is a kitchen that would make the Food Network blush. Top-of-the-line equipment, spacious, great lightings, huge fridges, stoves, just supposed to be the backbone of the video accompaniment to the LA Times social media. They were going to drive eyeballs, attention, revenue. And guess what? It's never used. Nobody's ever there. Even on the site I was looking, there are only a handful of episodes even filmed at this beautiful, wonderful, expensive kitchen. Celebrity chefs, a couple times. So why invest if you're not going to use it? But man, I'm I'm just getting started. These these are just indications of the LA Times half-hearted commitment to a philosophy that's non-existent in the 21st century. This is a quote from the LA Times Guild, the media guild of the West that represents the writers. The staffing cut is the fruit of years of middling strategy and no clear direction. <laughs> what have I been saying? This what have I been pounding the table on? It makes me mad. It makes me mad because LA Times was an important part of my life. It's, I still want to say it is. I, I, I rely on the news. I re rely on a 
consolidated voice of Los Angeles. Yes, of course I'm on social media. I subscribe to the print LA Times and the print Daily News, and I only had to add the Daily News on because the LA Times just wasn't getting the job done. So as far as the LA Times Guild, the Media Guild, no clear direction, I couldn't agree more. Every day, the first thing I do after brushing my teeth is grab a newspaper, hoping that this robust, balanced reporting that I grew up with returns to the paper. And yeah, I mentioned that word balanced because one of my main gripes, and now I know a lot of you are going to be along for the ride on this, is, is the lean. LA Times has an absolute ideological lean. And listen, I was born and raised liberal. Y'all know the story. My mom burned her bra. My dad burned his draft card. Hippies to the core. And on paper, I'm still a Democrat. But I'm also logical. If you've been following this podcast, you know I try to remain objective as much as possible. We all have opinions, but I've always prided myself on that. I used to have a blog called Left, Right, and Center where I would, this is going back to 2008, I remember because it was the Obama era, where I would take a screenshot from foxnews.com, cnn.com, put them side by side, and you would see how both networks would cover these stories. And again, look, we all know about the polarization of the media and people, and it's it's we're so far along those lines. But this 2008, and it, would just blow my mind because you'd have the same exact story covered in such dramatically different ways that I'd always illustrate why couldn't people just cover the stories? This is what reporting is to me. This is what news is. This is what the LA Times is supposed to be. Objective reporting and information and let me make my own opinion. But the LA Times has been pushed to a place, especially during COVID, that alienated even me. My friends, Tommy's a diehard liberal. Yeah, well, guess what? LA Times went too far for me. And, and look, COVID was a scary time, an unknown time. Information was being discovered, processed, disseminated every day. New stuff. Nobody knew anything. And everybody was scared. <sighs> But the LA Times was banging the drum with a unified voice for once about how terrible everything was and how we were supposed to be scared and isolated and sad. And we were, we already were because of how life was going. But the coverage was a wet blanket and I didn't ask for anything disingenuous and cheery. But how about real reporting and balanced coverage and I'm not talking some DeSantis, Trump, California, stupid, rip your masks off. But, dude, give me reporting, journalism, coverage of all perspectives. I was jumping over the New York Times to get my info. Because, again, even though they lean liberal, they do reporting. And they'll give you science. And they'll give you studies. And again, nobody knew anything, so let me make up my own mind. Don't push me into this corner where I'm already scared and fearful and, and make me feel worse. And it was throughout the paper this was bleeding through, and there were days I couldn't even read the paper because that was the whole entirety of the coverage. And that was the moment for me when the LA Times became too slanted, too liberal. And I know there was a ton going on. A lot of it was horrible. George Floyd, 
protests, looting. I was recovered by the LAPD to board up my office windows because there was fears of an uprising even here in the valley. And that's terrible. But while other outlets were covering the stories, the LA Times was having internal discussions on whether or not to use the word looting in their articles. And this came from the top, the publisher at the time, Norman Perlstein. And now, there are reports. I don't know how accurate these are. So I don't want to report this as fact. But there's a lot of smoke. Where there's smoke, you know the saying. There could be fire. Patrick Soon-Shong's daughter, Nika. In her bio, it says she's an American activist who served as the public safety commissioner of West Hollywood. The smoke said that she was actually making editorial decisions and pushing the paper in these directions and getting in Pearlstein's ear and saying you shouldn't use these words and you shouldn't report this way. And she's wildly intelligent. But what is her impact on the paper and the journalism and why does she have this voice? So I don't know. It is unsubstantiated, but regardless of who did make these decisions, the coverage was reflective of this. And I checked LA times hasn't used that word looted since 2020. And okay. You know, I, I, I understand there are racial undertones, but this is the LA Times, man. I, I I want reporting. I want to know what's going on. I don't want it filtered. This was off-putting and depressing, even as a so-called liberal. It was too much. LA Times needed real reporting. We were getting activism. Shameful. Paper like the LA Times should not have a singular viewpoint. It's reflective of the city. Most diverse city in the world, not just ethnically. Culturally, socially, economically. And the paper is alienating even its most loyal longtime readers. Time to sit back and get back to your roots. Get back to a, a philosophy. Doing real journalism. And not trying to tell people how to think, man. One of my friends at the Times. Somebody I have lunch with twice a year. Good buddy. I've known him since 1997. He's a staffer. He's a reporter there. I remember him telling me at our one of our lunches, South Pasadena in 2019, that the philosophy of the paper was non-existent. Again, this is before COVID. He told me that the decision makers were chasing their tail. I'll never forget this conversation because it was already when I had an inkling that the Times just wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing for me, for the city, for the people as an institution. So what does that mean, chasing his tail? Well, Instead of continuing on the path of the 143 years of leading Los Angeles by having the best damn reporting, they were following. What were they following? Clicks, revenue, other papers? I don't know, but I'll tell you this. I remember this vividly and I still talk about it. Perfect example was this quote unquote breakthrough article in the food section. <laughs> it was a power ranking of fries. BuzzFeed? No, no, no. LA Times. And look, it was clever. It was a grid, taste, texture, you know, all this stuff. All the classic places. And of course, In-N-Out ranked near the bottom. Who likes In-N-Out fries? I do. And McDonald's wasn't at the top, even though everybody loves McDonald's fries. So it's controversial. And it went viral. And look, it was fun. It was really fun. But it's not reporting. 
LA Times is not BuzzFeed. But I know it racked up the clicks, the views, the shares. I got the link from a dozen different people on all my platforms. So what did the Times do? Well, they tried to recreate that. Ran more power rankings. You'll still see them about once a quarter still. Frozen pizzas, store-bought ramen. Each one, of course, with diminishing returns because what in the name of Jonathan Gold are you doing calling this reporting in the LA Times food section? That's not reporting. It's not reflective of a city with such a bright and diverse food scene. Leave that to the kids. Leave that to social media bums like myself. But not you, LA Times. Not you. I was sad. Still is. And yeah, the food section did cease to be the shining star, especially in the aftermath of the Peter Meehan era. He was a former editor of the wonderful publication Lucky Peach. I, I have every physical issue. I still save them. It's great food writing. He was hired as a food editor, and I was excited. He hired some talented folks. You, you can never follow in Jonathan Gold's footsteps, but, but they looked like they were building something. And... Unfortunately, it only lasted a year because he was ousted in a scandal for creating a toxic work environment. But he hired good people. Bill Addison, Patricia Escarciaga. And they were doing a fantastic job. But it was overshadowed. And then Escarciaga left after a pay discrimination complaint. And she was wildly talented. And that was a huge loss. But I guess that's why the Times food section was relegated to running power rankings. And again, it's just food, but that was a main reason. That was at least one reason that people were coming to and relying on the LA Times because LA has great food and they were doing great coverage. And now they're doing power rankings. And now, most personally for me, probably the least quote unquote important, but going back to Jim Canetta telling me about reading box scores and talking about Jack Morris's no-hitter. The sports section. The damn sports section. Easiest thing to cover, and I was there. I was a sports writer. I mean, it's not easy to write, but, like, come on. You talk about the Dodgers. You talk about the Lakers. Talk about LAFC. Talk about Angel City. I mean, it's straightforward. Cover sports in Los Angeles. We are a great sports town. But last year, what the LA Times do? <laughs> They stopped including Dodger game wraps in the newspaper. They stopped running box scores. They said they can't cover anything that ends after 6 p.m. because the L.A. Times sold their printing press in a cash grab. And the new printer had an early deadline that precluded the L.A. Times from doing what they were best at, covering stories. How the heck can you run a sports section without recapping the Dodger games, the Laker games, anything that happened after 6 p.m.? That's when sports start. So, yeah, there was an outcry. They lost thousands of subscribers. And now in the aftermath, I read this yesterday in the LA Times article by Meg James. Soon Shang blamed his editors. But guess what? The buck stops at his desk, and it was a terrible decision that left even its most loyal readers out in the cold, including me. So yeah, back to the layoffs. One of my favorite Times writers, Matt Pierce. He's the Guild president, by the way, for the region. He 
said it's a dark day at the Los Angeles Times. And really, it's a dark day for Los Angeles, even as the paper's been struggling with an identity crisis and non-committal, no philosophy. We're talking 143 years, an institution that helped build this city. And soon Shang says, what are his comments after this? We are not in turmoil. We have a real plan. We have an opportunity to take the investment we've made and reposition the times into a sustainable and thriving paper for the next generation. Well, <laughs> I for one would love to see it shine brightly as a beacon for Los Angeles into the 22nd century, but it doesn't feel that way. I've been joking that we're going to wake up in 2025 and the daily news is going to be the longest running paper in LA and the most important paper in LA. And this is no disrespect to the daily news, but picking up my copy that's on my desk right now, their, their masthead says serving San Fernando and surrounding valleys. So they even know they're not the primary voice in LA, their primary voice in the valleys, but that's the direction it's going. And it's really sad. So then what? What now? There's still the Daily News, of course. There's LA Taco. There's LAist. There's KTLA, Fox 11, even the patch, which has been breaking stories. But you know who does the best reporting? Who has the best news in LA? KNX. Yeah, and it's not just, yeah, I'm on, I'm on KNX occasionally. But listen, you tune them in, 97.1. You know why? The best philosophy out there. They do live traffic every 10 minutes and they report without bias. They just report. And I'm going to tell you how I know they do a good job. Because they're the most trusted news source in polls. Local all news radio that just reports is what people want. And right now they're run by Alex Silverman, who's the director of news and program programming. Great guy. Great job. But they do the best job of covering news in Los Angeles. No agenda, no slant, just the facts. Maybe the LA Times should take note. So if you're from LA or anywhere in Southern California, you know Cerritos Auto Square and their famous slogan, they sell more, so you save more. Well, get this. A new documentary is coming out. It follows the creation of this SoCal institution, Cerritos Auto Square. And I didn't realize this, but it's the largest auto center by annual sales in the country. The documentary starts at the beginning when the area was all dairy farms. You know how I love to look back on Southern California history and its evolution. And I didn't realize how much work and innovation went into creating the world's largest auto center. I'm actually surprised at how interesting this documentary is. There's a ton of historical footage from old Southern California, and you know I was loving every scene. So in keeping with the theme World's Largest, they're hosting the World's Largest Red Carpet Movie Premiere in California. The free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the amazing Cerrito Center for the Performing Arts. Attendance is free but it's limited to the first 1,600 registrations. So make sure you secure your ticket at cerritosautosquare.com slash movie. Again, 
The free movie premiere will be held at 7.30 p.m. on Thursday, February 22nd at the Cerrito Center for the Performing Arts. Free tickets can be secured at CerritosAutosquare.com slash movie. I'll see you there. Now, for your one thing to do in Los Angeles this week, go to a newsstand, buy a newspaper, or don't, but at least go visit a newsstand because, lo and behold, they're still around. Think about that. There's seven in Los Angeles, seven that I could find. If I miss one, let me know. My local one is called Laurel Canyon News. It's the last one in the valley. After my old one, which was called the newsstand on Van Nuys Boulevard closed. Now the newsstand, by the way, sells like vape type products. It's kind of funny, though. They do have a Kobe mural outside represent. And look, I only go to newsstand probably once a year, generally to get extra editions of a print newspaper that somebody I know might be in. Newspapers that I've already subscribed to. But it's a cool little vibe, man. Just... Just seeing that it's out there, the newspapers, the magazines, specialty magazines. My wife, the interior designer, sometimes like, yo, pick me up a copy of Architectural Digest. Bop over to Laurel Canyon News. It's cool, man. And, you know, for me, there's a tactile satisfaction of holding a newspaper, holding a magazine on a new on an airplane. I'm always going to read a magazine. So there are reasons to go. And, And here's where they are located. As mentioned, Laurel Canyon News on Laurel Canyon, just south of Ventura on the west side. Standard blue awning, cool spot right outside of a uh, CVS. They got everything. There's Centerfold Newsstand on Fairfax near Melrose. That one's pretty popular. Whenever I go by there, there's like huddles of people there. So That one's kind of old school. So Centerfold Newsstand. Here's an interesting one. Soto Street Magazines in Boyle Heights. It's Soto and First. And it's marquee says all kinds of Spanish magazines and newspapers. And when I went, they were actually doing brisk business. And honestly, the Spanish publications, what a niche. That's smart. That's smart. And get this. It's also less than a mile from Pioneer Chicken, which is making a resurgence. And you know, it's one of my favorites. My dad used to always take me go to Pioneer, but also stop by Soto Street Magazines. There's current events in Manhattan Beach. <laughs> Pretty cliche, but good, good title. It's more a store than a newsstand. But the primary focus is newspapers and magazines. And look, South Bay is very um, isolated, insulated, but it's a good excuse to get down there because it's a fun place to hang out. Maybe save that one for the summer. And there's Al's newsstand in Beverly Hills. This one's funny to me because... It's amazing that this place can survive what must be a sky-high rent. Beverly Hills. But it is legendary. People in Beverly Hills know Al's. It's classic. It's robust. It's probably the largest of the seven that remain. And again, it has some magazines that you're not going to find anywhere else from all over the world. So Al's is pretty dope and it's classic. Now, it's also Century World News. In West L.A., that, that unclaimed area of Los Angeles, they just call it West L.A., and it, but it's also just Los Angeles. I don't know. It's Pico and Parnell. It's interesting because not only is it a pretty small stand, but it's not even on Pico. It's on Parnell, even though the address says Pico. But if you go to the address, you're going to see the Subway sandwiches and be like, yo, Ev, the, the newsstand's not there, but turn the corner. It's right there. It's a good community resource. One of those ones that I'm glad still exist. And lastly... There's Above the Fold in Larchmont. 
It's basically right outside the Rite Aid, and it looks like it's part of the Rite Aid, but it's not. It's a classic newsstand, papers, magazines, cigarettes, gum. So go to Above the Fold, which is a great name because when newspapers mattered, when the LA Times mattered, you'd put the best story above the fold because that's the one that people see. And you know what? If you're looking for it, you're going to see a newsstand. And that's a great thing to do in Los Angeles this week. Support your local or even your global news. Grab some print. It's good for the soul. And maybe, just maybe, reach for an LA Times if the urge strikes you. Trust me, they need the revenue. Thank you for listening to this episode of In a Minute with Evan Lovett. I hope you have fun. So it's not a, it's not a tough one for me because I love journalism and I love the LA Times and I've been, I've been waiting to unload on this for a while. So I hope you enjoyed it and I appreciate you being here and thank you for listening. And listen, if you enjoyed the episode, click on that five-star rating. Every single one of those is helpful. And what's really, really, really helpful, leave a review. Even if you're just like, great job, Evan. It, it is probably the most important thing for the algorithm, getting the podcast extra eyeballs and just getting it out there. It's big time for the show. Apple, Spotify, our friends at the Odyssey app, whatever your platform is, thank you for listening. I wish you a great week ahead and enjoy this lovely city of Los Angeles. All right, y'all. It's been a minute.